Welcome everyone. We're excited to share some country wisdom with you. King Solomon had a thing or two to say about the path to wisdom. In Proverbs 4, he wrote, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Keep straight the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Join us now for Country Wisdom. There's a storm coming. That means any minute now my grandchildren will start appearing. The little ones first, but the older ones won't be far behind. All of them scrambling for the safety of grandma's lap. They know their grandmother isn't afraid of any storm. And soon one of them is bound to ask to hear it again. The story of the great storm how God decided to rid his world of evil, how he decided to send the rain, and how he asked Grandpa Noah to build a boat. Tim, thank you for being with us today. Everyone, I want to introduce you to Tim Chafee, um, content director or content manager? Content manager, yep. Content manager of the ARC. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. That sounds pretty cool when you say it like that. Oh, yeah. Noah could have used him. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, absolutely. He, he, he was busy building things. I just write things. <laughs> you have uh, uh, three master's degrees, and I guess you're working on a doctorate too. Yes. What's the area, and because people wonder, content management, what is that? Well, I'm responsible for uh, researching and writing the signage that you read when you go through the Ark Encounter or through the Creation Museum, our, our sister facility, about 40 miles from here. And uh, so I work with an incredible team. I've got an assistant who kind of handles all things animal related. So he sticks his nose in fossil books all day long. <laughs> How boring, but he loves it. And it, that's great. You know, God brought the right person for the job. And then I get to do what I love to do, and that is study God's word and, you know, figure things out. How are we going to teach this important message? I've got through. to tell you, I've read several, several of your books, including your Noah trilogy, oh, which you. is particularly appropriate today. Yeah, it's kind of like the and, uh, and, official backstory for Noah and his family at the right. Ark Encounter. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm trying not to do a full-on fangirl here. Uh, <laughs> it's like, it's Tim Chafee! <laughs> because at my age, that would not be dignified. So I'm trying to pretend like, oh, I, I talk to people like this all the time. It's normal. I'm flattered. <laughs> Now, it is interesting, in, in Genesis chapter 6, you know, basically God said, Noah, the whole earth is evil, I'm going to destroy it by a flood, so make an ark of gopher wood. I'm curious, what's, what's yeah, this what made is of? Gopher what's gopher wood? Well, that's a great question. We get asked that a lot. We used to, people would say all the time, hey, are you going to make it out of the same thing that Noah did? And we'd always say, yeah, wood. <laughs> no, 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 are you going to make it out of gopher wood? Well, what's gopher wood? I mean, that Genesis 6:14. it appears, it's the only time in the Bible that word is ever used. And... It doesn't describe, you know, what it is. So some people have guessed over the years, maybe it was cypress, maybe it was cedar, but what they're doing is looking at 
the region of the world where the ark landed and saying, what kind of wood grows, you know, trees grow in this area that would be suitable for building an ark? But that's not the right approach because the world was so different before the flood. You know, that, according to Peter, that world perished. It's quite possible it isn't something that we even have anymore. Right. It's possible gopher wood doesn't exist anymore. Um, we, so we don't know what kind of wood that was other than just what the Bible calls it. And there have been a lot of, there's a lot of speculation about what it was. If you, if you are really interested in how much we don't know about gopher wood, I've got an article on the Answer the Genesis <laughs> website about the, I think it's the mystery of the arched lumber and um, three or 4,000 words about how much we don't know about gopher wood. But what I can tell you is if some of the trees that came from gopher wood, you know, through the years, if, assuming it survived, we know the ark survived and that would made a gopher wood, but assuming some gopher wood trees were replanted and regrew, if what we call them today are Douglas fir or Engelmann spruce, then we built the ark out of gopher wood because those are two of the major okay. timbers in the ark. But now you you pointed to the ark and said, and the ark was here, you know, but this isn't the real ark. Right, right? that's not Noah's <laughs> so, ark. That is our yes, um, reconstruction of Noah's ark according to the biblical specification. And you mentioned that things aren't the same. Give us a little idea what it was prior to the flood, what the earth was like, or what it may have been. Yeah, so we believe that the earth that there was one continent on the earth at that time. Uh, the Bible says in Genesis chapter one, all the water was gathered together in one place, which seems to imply all the land was in one place. The description of that land in Genesis chapter two doesn't match anywhere on earth today. You know, sometimes people say, oh, the Garden of Eden, it was in the Middle East because it talks about the Tigris and Euphrates. Well, that's two rivers that become one. What the Bible describes is one river that becomes four, and the Tigris and Euphrates are just two of those. So it's not the same place. That world was destroyed and completely wiped out by the flood. Uh, the Garden of Eden is probably buried underneath, you know, thousands of feet of sediment. So that's a big difference. Um, the, what people were eating, you know, prior to the flood, God told man he was to eat vegetation. And it's not until after the flood that he permits man to eat meat. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite verses, Genesis 9, 3, every living thing that moves shall be food for you. It's really interesting that after the flood, you watch the age of man come down, 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 because he became a meat eater. <laughs> kind of interesting. <laughs> I, yeah, I think there's other reasons for it. <laughs> but also height, right? It seems that... Uh, well, his didn't come down. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah we're, that we're not really sure of, because we don't know what, um, what, how tall man was prior to the flood. Um, the Bible discusses giants in Genesis 6, 4, but um, other than that... There are fossils. I mean, here in the in the U.S., they have found human remains that but, that are much more like you than they are like me. <laughs> well, even without getting into that, those would be post-flood. You know, the different well, skeletons true. that they find, though they're all post-flood. So we don't know what people would be pre-flood. As far as we know, we don't have any human artifacts or human remains from pre-flood. So how did you do your research? I mentioned the Noah trilogy mm -hmm. that uh, is a favorite of mine. How did you, what did you research? How did you come up with such a fascinating story and all those details that you put into it? Yeah, so it started with, uh, we have an exhibit on deck two called uh, Who Was Noah and How Could He Build the Ark? So the, what I was asked to do is write a plausible backstory for Noah. How could he have acquired the skills that he obviously had to build the ark? You know, you, it's more than just carpentry. It's more than just shipbuilding. He's also got to manage a crew, all those different things. And so I got this idea that, you know, typically people think of Noah as a, oh, he was a preacher who went around and preached to everybody. Well, that's not really how the Bible describes him. He's a, he's a preacher of righteousness. The Bible tells us that um, in the New Testament. It never says anything like that in the Old Testament. And of course they agree. I'm not saying there's a contradiction, but I don't think that was his occupation. In fact, when Jesus talks about the flood, he says that um, the people did not know until the flood came and took them all away. It's as if they, most of the people really didn't know 
that this was going to happen. We tend or to think of it. didn't believe, you know, they just right, and even thought if he, he was told, a crazy old man. Or, yeah, or even, I mean, even if he told a lot of people, there's still likely millions or hundreds of millions of people around the world. He didn't reach everybody. I mean, we have this huge arc here, and we have mass media, and we have ads on some of the major networks. And I'll bet over 50% of the people in the country have never even heard of it. I am curious, how many people do you get here each year? Well, before the whole COVID thing hit, we had about a million people a year uh, on average. And then this, this past summer has been fantastic. We've had a lot of people come back, even without the large uh, bus groups that we used to have all the time. Uh, so we still had some record numbers this summer, which has been great. Uh, but going back to your question, what do you research? Really pouring into Genesis 1 through 6, everything in there is fair game. Um, what could Noah know? How could he, you know, assuming that he doesn't know everything that's coming in the rest of the Bible. So you got to limit yourself to just those, really those six chapters. And, you know, how could he figure things out? Um, so I got the idea that maybe he was already a shipbuilder. And people don't usually think of that. But the way that God often works is he prepares you for the task that he has in store for you. And so rather than having Noah be the expert on everything, we had his wife be somebody who, who's always had an interest in animals, always loved you know, studying those, well, not knowing that those two skills would come in very handy later in life for both of them, um, because God often does that. He's I love the roles that you gave uh, to the women involved in the story, because, well, let's face it, throughout the Bible, you often have, oh yeah, and there were some women there too. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of a story, we're a little postscript. Um, but in your, trilogy, women were a major part. Yeah, well, I think it's... As they would have been. I, I think that's typically the case, what's the saying, I'll probably botch it, but behind every strong man, there's a, a strong woman or something, something like that. And, and I think that's generally true. Um, I, and of course, I, Janice is, this is really near and dear to her because because of your graciousness yesterday, we filmed uh, Mrs. Noah. Oh. I do with, a biblical monologue. Oh, neat. Yeah. Okay. Well, now you know her name. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Bible doesn't give us her name. So those things were, you know, the names of the women were fictional. And um, so, yeah, it was just interesting to try to dream up what that, what that world would be like. But even in my case, you know, how does God prepare somebody for a role? Well, for about 15 years, I was fascinated with the pre-flood world and reading everything I could get my hands on. I didn't know that someday I was going to be doing this. So God, God was knew. preparing you ahead exactly. of time, too. Yep. And so when God tells Noah, build the ark, he said, I can do that. How big? Oh, <laughs> you gotta give me a little bit of time. Right. That's gonna be kind of big. But speaking of, tell me, Tim, give us the dimensions and how did you arrive at those? Five hundred and ten feet long, right? Yes. See, I, I did my research. Thank you, you Tim. No. <laughs> yeah, so the Bible gives us the dimensions of the ark. It tells us that it was, you know, 300 cubits by 50 cubits by 30 cubits. And then you had cubits. to decide what's, what's a, a cubit. cubit. Yeah, we know the cubit is this, uh -huh. but... And um, you might notice his cubit would be just a tad longer a, a than mine. <laughs> <laughs> mine, yeah. mine is 22 inches because I'm, I'm about 6 foot 8, 6 foot 9. And that's why my cubit's pretty large. But if Noah would have used mine, the ark would have been even longer than what you see here. Um, typically what people will do is say, well, the, the common cubit is 18 inches. Um, that's what you'll see in a lot of Bibles. Uh, more, some of the modern ones will see 17.5 inches. And the reason for that, for that is the discovery of Hezekiah's tunnel in Jerusalem. Um, tell us, tell built, us more about that. So that was a, a tunnel that they used for, for water and everything. That was um, dug during Hezekiah's time. And uh, so you're looking at, you know, centuries before Jesus, but thousands of years after Noah. And uh, it was built on a 17 and a half inch cubit. So that's why people think, oh, that was the common cubit. What was the common cubit in Hezekiah's day? We don't know what Noah used. Um, and what we do know is that throughout the ancient Near East, in Egypt and Syria and all these different places, they all used cubits, but they all had different length cubits. So we had to pick one. 
And so what it's we'd... not a measurement that you just pulled out of a hat. And, you know, let's throw the dice and see how right. many inches our cubit's going to be. And so what we did is we took the 17 and a half inch cubit, but what we also recognized throughout history is a lot of those ancient building projects, whether it's pyramids or temples, a lot of them are built on what's called a long cubit or a royal cubit. So you add the width of four fingers and then to the cubit. And so that's about 2.9 inches to three inches. And so Moses, added... Moses, who wrote, was royalty. Yeah, yeah, so. he would have been familiar with what was going on in Egypt. And so the a 20.4 inch cubit is the 17.5 plus the 2.9 inches. So we used a 20.4 inch cubit here. That gives you an arc of 510 feet in length. And it is um, you know, 50, uh, 51 feet tall and 85 feet wide. And then it's taller than that because it's up on these pillars that are 14 feet tall. And then you got the bow fin up there. It's no secret that the world is in a major mess. We are in a major mess. Even if you have escaped many of life's difficulties, most homes still struggle with daily living. So the question arises, is there hope for the future, for your future? I want to tell you, there absolutely is hope. And that's why I'm asking you to order this free pamphlet, Is There Hope? for the future. You will be happy you did. It will change your life. Go to TalkingDonkeyInternational.org today and order offer 105. Is there hope for the future? Because one uh, criticism of the whole flood story, you have people who say, well, he couldn't have gotten all the animals, you know, two of, of every kind of animal. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can't can't be done, and part of your purpose here is to show. Well, yes, it could have been done. Oh, absolutely, done. yeah, yeah. So a lot of times people don't recognize how big the ark is, and so when you tell when people give me that line, like, oh, there's no way you could fit the animal. Well, how how big was the ark? Well, I don't know, but there's no way you could fit them on there. <laughs> okay, well, how many animals? Well, I don't know, but there's no way you could fit. So they don't even know the two things they have to know, and they tell you it can't be done because they're just repeating what they've heard, and they they try to imagine every single type of animal they've ever seen. Not understanding. Not understanding. Two of each two kind. Two of each kind. And they'll say, well, that's just a made up category. All of the categories we come up with are just, you can classify animals however you want to, by brown animals and by their color, by the number of legs. You can, you can classify them how you want to. We just have a system that we've kind of accepted for the last couple hundred years, you know, with family, genus, species, and, and so on. And so what would kind relate to kind in is, those terms yeah, that we're used yeah, to? Yeah, kind is roughly equivalent to the family level. Uh, so if animals can interbreed, they belong to the same kind. So, you know, here at the, the, the zoo, right behind the ark here, we've got a zonkey and a zorse, which is a <laughs> cross between a, a, you know, a zebra and a donkey and a zebra and a horse. And that, those are the same kind of animal. And the same thing would be true with like camels and llamas and alpacas. They belong to the same kind. So no doesn't need two camels, two alpacas, two llamas. They belong to the same kind. And with dogs, I mean wolves and coyotes and dingoes and foxes, those are all different species. There's like 14 different species of foxes. They're all part of the dog kind. No, it just needs two dogs. I love, I was listening to Ken Ham one time when he was talking about, there were no poodles on the other one. <laughs> he doesn't like poodles. No. no, poodles are, you know, just the last couple hundred years as people are breeding, you know, getting runts together and breeding them and getting more runs together and breeding them and getting this I, kind of a useless dog. But, no, but I know they can be the original, the yeah. original, whatever it was Noah had with him 
had the ability in those genes yes. to someday create pools. It had the genetic variability. For better or for worse. Right, and so people look at it and they say, isn't that evolution? No, it's the exact opposite of evolution. What, you're, what we're saying is that these two dogs on Noah's Ark had the genetic variability for all that we see today in the dog kind. What evolution, what, and then what happens as you think about the different breeds, they're losing genetic information. That's why the purebreds are, that we call purebreds are often very sick and they gotta go to the vet all the time, but a mutt can survive anything because it's got much more variability. Yeah. Um, and so it's actually the opposite of, of evolution and evolution will require a gain of new genetic information every step of the way and we've never observed that. So as time goes on, they'd be able to create more and more and different and different and we find just the opposite. Right. Yep. Now, I guess you wrote everything in there too. Um, it, you you wrote in there, I last night I was able to get in just for a second. You've got the gallons of water that the place would hold and how many animals. Can you give us a rundown and how massive it was and how organized everything That surprised be? me because I would tend to think, just hold a cup outside the window, <laughs> you know, and you're gonna get water. And yep. it had not occurred to me that they would need water storage. Mm -hmm. You know, doesn't it seem counterintuitive? That you'd need to be yeah, able to you store got a lot of water. animals. It's tough to get enough in a cup in one time. <laughs> well, what we did is we, we tried several different um, methods. How, how do we want to approach this? Do we want to have potable water for all 12 months? Well, that's not usually a good idea because it doesn't usually keep real well. So what we did is let's plan for three months of potable water. And then we had, could they, is there a way that they could collect rainwater off the roof? And given the roof of that size, uh, we did the calculations. You would need, on average, one inch of rain per week in order to have enough water for the people, for all the animals, for washing the stalls, for everything that you need, one inch of rain per week. Do you think they got that during the flood and during the subsequent months? Well, we get, in, right in this area of Kentucky, guess how much rain we average during the year? A lot more than we do in our area <laughs> yes, of California. But, uh, one inch of rain, we, we have the exact right amount here. Really? And so as long as it rained what it does here, then you have enough water and they would have had much more rain than that. So they easily could have had enough for it. Um, how many animals, how many kinds do you Yeah, so the total number of kinds, we had to go through and do the research. And we had to figure out not just the still living kinds, but also those that have gone extinct since the time of the flood. How many kinds of animals would there be? And what we often hear is, how could you fit millions of species? Right. And, but we've already talked about the, how we're not talking about species, we're talking about kinds. And when they say millions of species, they're including all the insects. No, it doesn't have to bring the insects on board the ark. They're not breathing air through their nostrils. They don't have nostrils. They don't have the life of the flesh is in the blood. They don't have blood. They don't I go really two wish by you two. Not taking spiders. <laughs> or, or me too. Or I'm completely with you. Yeah, get rid of those. And mosquitoes. We can do it. And you flies. find a friend here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with snakes, but spiders, the big yeah. ones, yeah, they creep me out. <laughs> well, um, even the little ones, they don't have to be big to oh. creep me out. <laughs> um, so the total number of kinds, and this is probably an overestimate because what we were doing is if we don't have the proof that all of these belong in the same kind, we separate them out, even though they probably do. For example, bats. Um, there are 18 living of families of bats in the world today and six, five or six extinct families of bats. There's a good likelihood they all belong to the same kind, but we don't have all the hybridization data we need, so we separated them out into 24 kinds. And because they're flying creatures, we brought 14 of each. We have over 300 bats on the ark. Noah might have just needed seven. Now, these are not alive, right? For anybody right. watching who wants to come to the ark. <laughs> right. They're not supposed to be. Maybe some got in there. <laughs> um, so the total number of kinds that we've calculated is just under 1,400. It's 1,398. And the total number of animals is fewer than 6,700. Because it wasn't just two. People think two of everything. Right. It's two of every kind of the, and then it's seven or seven pairs of the clean animals and all the flying creatures. 
And uh, so it depends, are you gonna do seven, are you gonna do 14? And, and our approach to it was to do a worst case scenario. So every time you have a decision to make between a, a lower number or a higher number and you can't be sure, you always go with a higher number because we're trying to show they could all fit. And if we always took the lower number, people are gonna say, oh, you cheated. No, we are probably overestimated by quite a bit. And they, what we found is when you calculate all the water, all the food, everything that you need and all the animals, everything fits just right which that's what you would expect because God is the one who told Noah God how to build it. Right. He's not going to say, yeah. build it this size so that it's just a little too small, you can't get the animals you need, or make it way too big so it's going to be a lot harder to keep it afloat and spend a lot more time building it. Uh, it's going to be just right because God knows how big it needs to be. Sounds like one of your gospel bands is starting, starting to uh, warm yeah. up here, huh? <laughs> yeah, we're uh, in the middle of our 40-40, uh, 40 days and 40 nights of, of music here at the Ark, and so we've got um, music going on at the Answer Center, and then we've also got an outdoor concert going on as well. And, and you have some pretty good groups coming in. Yeah, there are uh, some very well-known uh, groups that have, that have been, I think Selah has been here and some other, uh, a lot of, it's mostly all Southern Gospel. Um, so if that's... What you would yeah. expect for Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in the 80s, so I was kind of hoping for something more of that, but yeah. <laughs> With the Ark Encounter, and it truly is an encounter, I mean, it's, you know, incredible. How long does it take people to go through? You know, it depends on the type of person, you know. Like, I'm the kind who goes through and I read everything. Oh, then you're, you want to give yourself all day just for the ark. There are some I people like... No. You're not going to give me all day. <laughs> you know, one of my bosses, he's a looker. He just looks at the thing real quick, he reads the headline and then he moves on. But he also touches everything. So, <laughs> there are some people like that. And so you want to give yourself a couple of hours if you've got that. Sometimes if you've got younger kids, you know, the kid, it can be hard with the younger kids. They'll get a little bit tired by the time they get, you know, up through deck two. We've got a playground here. We've got zip lines, we've got the, the zoo, so you can always leave, go out, do those things for a little while, and then return for deck three. You can do the zip line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, they're fun. I'm not going near a zip line. <laughs> All right. They're safe. If it can hold me, it can hold you. I know the theory, <laughs> but you're still not getting me up on that tower. I understand. I'm afraid of heights. It's a little scary just to walk around all day. As tall as you are, you're afraid of heights? <laughs> yeah, um, a little bit, but I, I was part of the team that tested the zip lines at the Creation Museum. And Ooh, brave I, man. I, was the first, well, I didn't want to have to be the first one, but I ended up being the first one to go on one of the lines, and all of my coworkers watched, and I thought, I can't chicken out. I got that through. <laughs> and it helped me. It was fun. We're, we're starting to run out of time here, but... So I wanted to ask you, um, I understand there was one scientist, quote unquote, who came here and looked and said, well, this, this thing can't float. So it, it really is totally immaterial and yeah. on and on and on. What, what do you say to folks like that? Yeah, well, this one cannot float. I mean, it's, hooked, it's connected on the backside, you don't see them here, to three giant towers that anchor it so that it can withstand 140 mile an hour winds. It, this one was not designed to float, but the engineering behind this shape, this structure, uh, was done by Tim Lovett, who's an engineer in Australia, and he designed it in a way that it could float if it was constructed, you know, the way that we show on the inside when you first walk in we've got a, a cross section of the hull and if it's designed that way that structure will float you know people say you can't build a wooden ship that large well the the wyoming that was built in the early 1900s was 430 feet long from tip to tip and people will often cite that one and you say you can't build a wooden ship that large because it sank and 14 people were killed but what they don't tell you is that thing floated for nearly 15 years carrying thousands of tons of cargo up back and forth across the atlantic why don't they tell you that? Because you can build wooden ships that large. Noah's Ark needed to float for a maximum of five months before it landed on the mountains of Ararat. So if something close to that size can float for 15 years, if you spend a little more time and, and your engineering, there, wooden, and besides, wooden that's ships not can, taking into account that God was taking care of them. He wasn't going to let it 
sink. Well, yeah, he's not going to let it sink. Our assumption going into this and the way that we worked on these is if the Bible doesn't tell us that God did something miraculously, let's assume that he didn't do something miraculously. So can Noah design something in a way that's going to survive? Um, because there's a little hint that God wasn't right there with him all the time because Genesis 8-1 says God remembered Noah. And that's during the middle of the flood. So it's almost as if God wasn't in there with him, you know, taking care of all their needs, that they had to actually do the planning and the research and, and prepare for it. Of course, we know God can do those things, and if he wanted to, he would. Um, but our approach to it, because we want to show a, kind of a feasibility study, is that God wasn't doing that every step of the way. And really, God wants to be in a partnership with us. Yes. He, he wants us to work alongside him, you know, in everything, in the gospel, too. Amen. Yeah, I'm that's sure you found that. Uh, well, that's what we're called to do, and, that, and ultimately, that's why we built this, is because we have the most important message that can ever be shared. Not just Noah and the ark, but God judged the world. But the ark and the flood is a reminder of God's judgment, and yet also His mercy and His grace to Noah and his family and the the representatives of the but animals. It's also demonstrating that you can believe what the Bible says, yes. that it's not just stories. Right, and it's a reminder that someday He's going to judge the world again, and this time by fire. And He's provided a means of eternal salvation from our sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the last couple of minutes. Is there a story that comes to your mind of someone who came here and all of a sudden gave their life to God? Yeah, I, there was one, um, I think it was about a year after we opened, I was walking out on the left side there with a gift shop at the bottom and I was walking out of there and somebody saw my, my badge and he said, sir, do you work here? And I said, yes. And he said, I just need to tell you. And they were walking over to the restaurant over there for, for dinner uh, or for lunch. And he said, see that young man walking with my family? That's my son-in-law. We were just up on the third deck of the ark, and he just gave his life to the Lord after watching this presentation Amen. of the gospel. And that I, makes it all worth it. it. Absolutely, every yeah. all the long hours, everything we did for it, right there, that makes it worthwhile. And we've had other similar testimonies. So praise God for that. And uh, you know, His word did not return to him void, and we have His word is throughout the the ark. Uh, Amen. So I'm, I'm Amen. so thankful for that. And what a what a privilege to be a part of it. You know, folks. The Bible's true. God's Word is true. The ark was real, and it's real here now. And God is calling you into His ark of safety, into an incredible life with Him. And as Tim had said, He's coming soon. He, he's going to cleanse this earth again. Not by water this time, but by fire. And will you come into His ark of safety? That's the question. And Tim, I want to thank you today so much for coming and sharing Absolutely. with us. I hope people will come here and visit because it's a moving experience. Uh, it's, been, it's been great to be a part of it. Thank you. It's no secret that the world is in a major mess. We are in a major mess. Even if you have escaped many of life's difficulties, most homes still struggle with daily living. So the question arises, is there hope for the future, for your future? I wanna tell you, there absolutely is hope. And that's why I'm asking you to order this free pamphlet, Is There Hope? for the future. You will be happy you did. It will change your life. Go to TalkingDonkeyInternational.org today and order offer 105. Is there hope for the future? Thank you for watching. Join us again for another exciting country wisdom. See you next time.